Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Again, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We are here with part two of our Q&A. If you listened to the episode before this, we started it on the Q&A and just got really lost in the details. Um, So we've extended it to two parts, um, but put a little break in the middle. So if you didn't want to listen to all of it at once, you would have that break. So we're going to continue with our questions and kind of diving into a few other important topics. But before we do that, we want to give a shout out to all of our Patreon members. Melissa, you want to go ahead with that? Yeah, so we've got kind of a long list today of new Patreon subscribers. We appreciate that so much, you guys. So thank you to Brandon L. from Virginia, Lauren Collier uh, from South Carolina, Yvonne P., um, Sandy T from Maine and Josephine A from Maine. Thanks for uh, joining us from Maine, everybody. Um, <laughs> Nush R and Heather V, Nicole B, Yvonne P, and Coral P from Minnesota. Thank you guys so much for subscribing and for joining our community. Um, it's been so much fun to get to know you guys a little bit more and interact with your questions. So uh, one of the cool new developments at Beyond Healing Center that we have been putting a lot of time into and we're very, very, very excited to release is the Mental Health First Aid Kit. Um, This is a resource um, both for clients and then for therapists to use and to uh, use in their therapy with their clients. Um, This is a resource that exists online. Um, You just would purchase uh, access to it and um, once you have access, uh, you can log in anytime and use this resource. You can integrate it into your daily practice of mental health, and it includes uh, 15 guided exercises, um, videos, worksheets, um, progress reports, that kind of thing to uh, track your progress uh, in using this tool. And we are very excited to offer to our $20 Patreon members um, 50% off on, on this resource. So um, to get access to that, we're going to go to Patreon dot com black backslash beyond healing center and you will find uh all that you need there okay. mm-hmm. and to find the mental health first aid kit i don't know if you just mentioned that i was tuned out or not but, <laughs> um, you would visit yeah. our website oh, yes. and there's a tab called courses and so you select that and you'll find um a really easy access to it on there so you can Click select one that button. yes and mm-hmm. it'll pop up there Uh, There's some different promos if you want to purchase packages of multiple um, kits, and that way you can gift them to other people or even give them to your clients to use. It's a great adjunct to the therapy that you're already providing of something they can do at home just to kind of further enhance their work with you in session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful resource. We're very excited. (laughs) All right, so time for more questions. Yes. Well, this next one I'm going to read um, is more of a comment, but I do want to make sure we address it. So I would appreciate hearing more about cognitive interweaves, common stuck places and interventions, more in ego state work from an EMDR perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so, I mean, everybody knows my 
undying love for ego state work, so I'm going to talk about this for just a second. <laughs> um, so we're actually getting ready to start a whole series on uh, merging ego state work with EMDR, and you'll get to listen to me get really excited on every episode. But um, rather than go into a ton of detail at this point about that, we're going to save those for those episodes because we're going to spend a lot of time really breaking this down. Um, and I think in that question, it's kind of a, a two-parter. There's questions about cognitive interweaves in general, and then specifically about ego state cognitive interweaves. Um, and that is a huge question. So I think we'll just kind of take a couple of pieces of that, particularly about ego state interweaves. Um, one thing that I'll say, and that will break down a lot more in the series is that ego state work happens on a spectrum. Okay. So um, if you think back to your training, one of the really common interweaves that we're taught in training is perspective shifting interweaves. And ego state is a kind of perspective shifting interweave. So um, a really common one is, well, how old you were how old were you when that event happened? Well, I was five. And how big is a five-year-old? They're this big. That is like the introductory version of an ego state interweave because it's asking the person to shift their experience and their perspective into themselves at that age and understand through through new eyes uh, looking back on it and then ego state work you know on the other end of the spectrum is working with folks that present with severe dissociation and did and things like that and actually creating a relationship with every part of them and teaching them how to work with relationships in themselves um, their, their adult self with the child selves and even relationships between the different parts. So as you can imagine, there's a whole lot that happens on that spectrum, um, which is why we're going to do a, a full series on it and really teach you guys what that looks like in an EMDR context. I think another piece, uh, that is really relevant with ego state work, um, and EMDR is, um, the parts of the self that are characteristic of a behavior or a symptom or um, the presentation of a behavior in that way. So um, one of the things that I love about doing ego state work is that it's so creative mm -hmm. um, and it gives the, uh, the client and the therapist a way to navigate um, the nervous system and what um, is clean enough to partition off into a part. You can then start working with that directly. So um, while it is uh, chronological in that you can have parts that are certain ages, you can also have parts that are certain behaviors or certain mm -hmm. symptoms, certain mm -hmm. difficulties that the, that the client is experiencing. So it's really a beautiful and creative, co-creative even, um, uh, set of uh, techniques and understandings to start implementing. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I think there are some specific techniques or exercises you can do with ego state, but when you can really master it to a degree where it's naturally yeah. being integrated throughout all of your work, yeah. and that's where we start to see it merge with EMDR specifically, that's, right. that's when it can be very, very healing. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make one comment on more about cognitive interweaves. I know trainings you learn, you get like a list of here are the things you say, mm -hmm. and this is the interweave you use. At a stuck point. Yes. Yeah. This is when you bring it in. Um, for myself, one thing I find myself doing is I kind of have a my own little dialogue happening in my head as I'm doing a reprocessing session in EMDR. Of all the things that my gut is noticing, mm -hmm. is my I'm feeling in my body, all the thoughts that are popping in my head, but I hold them in until it feels necessary. Right. And so as that's running in my mind and, and I'm observing all of these things... 
when I feel a stuck point, I fall back on my gut. I don't fall back on the list from a training. Mm -hmm. I fall back on like, what's my instinct noticing? How do I bring attention to that? How do I connect with that experience with, with them? Um, or, you know, in, in the most concise way, not a long, I'm hearing, I'm talking about all of this, but in the fewest words, most concise way, which usually for me comes in the form of a very gentle question. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about this, or have you noticed this? Um, what would it be like if, mm -hmm. and, and those types of phrases. So really a cognitive interweave can be anything, Yes. Mm -hmm. literally anything. It can be you shifting in your chair and right. leaning into them. That's right. right. Anything that is outside of the standard protocol is technically an interweave. Well, that's what I want to note in what you're saying, Jen, of that the question sort of presupposes a finite list. Yes. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think what we're saying is expand that to the instrument that is you as the therapist. Yes. And whatever you're going to do is serving as an interweave to navigate a stuck point with mm -hmm. a client in their mm -hmm. reprocessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the kind of internal questions that I find myself asking a lot in those moments is what is the the nervous system in yeah. front of me missing? Yeah. What um, insight are they missing? What experience are they missing? Um, even what knowledge are they missing that, if they had it, might help them move past whatever this barrier is? And I think, you know, thinking in terms of what is the missing piece to help us narrow in on what to offer, mm -hmm. and then always offering the smallest amount of that that we can get away with. It is always easier to add more in than to try to take away, you know, a long speech that we've just given that has derailed their process. And so less is more when it comes to interweaving. Um, but really trying to narrow in, like Jen is saying, on what does my gut tell me is the missing piece and how can I offer that as succinctly as possible? Yeah, one of the, I too pay so much attention to the nervous system that um, in those moments I will ask myself, where are they and how can I meet them there? Mm -hmm. um, that means where they are in their nervous system because as you start to do this processing, their, their state shifts are so drastic. Mm -hmm. um, they're trying to handle the uh, intense emotions and the flooding of memories and the idea that things are shifting inside of them that... Um, they can get lost <laughs> away from you. So asking yourself, even in a sympathetically activated person, where are you and how can I meet you there? Um, one of the things that I ask is, can you tell me what's happening for you right now? Mm -hmm. That gives little breadcrumbs into where, where they are in their mm -hmm. process and then I can more uh, accurately attune and uh, co-regulate and then we're out of the stuck point and we're, yeah. we're back to reprocessing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so I know... For those of you who like the sheet and like <laughs> structure, and I know that myself just getting trained, that's exactly what I wanted. When do I say what? And, and how does that move on to the next thing? Script, um, yeah. This may not be an answer that brings you comfort, but hopefully it brings you a lot of space for creativity and really meeting your client and what their needs are specifically. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you do find yourself being, you know, drawn to having a list and something concrete because it feels comforting to you and actually allows you to be more in tune with your clients because you're not you yeah. know, internally panicking about what happens if they get stuck because I definitely spend a lot of time feeling that way um, when you're when you're sitting there and you're listening and they're going along just fine um, I actually spend time trying to anticipate stuck points yes and when I anticipate one or I kind of see one coming down the road or Ooh, mm -hmm. maybe they're looping right here I start thinking about what could a potential interview be and we'll actually write it down. And what I often end up with is like a list of, you know, four or five things that I could say if we hit that stuck point. 
Nine times out of ten, I never get to share my brilliance with them because they're fine <laughs> and they don't need it. But it, it does feel very comforting to know that if we reach that step point, I can just look down and already have a list that I've kind of made of here's the ones that I think are going to be the most applicable. Um, you'll find that as you work with people long term, you notice which interviews work best for them. Mm-hmm. So take note of that. If this person seems to always respond to body-based interweaves, make a note on the top of their chart for yourself. Use body-based interweaves because that is going to help you make those decisions really quickly in the moment. Um, always take note of interweaves that work re- really well for them because chances are you're going to need it again later. Yeah, great point. Mm-hmm. All right, so our next question. Um, she writes in and says, My main modality before learning EMDR has been emotionally focused therapy for couples and individuals which is more from a bottom-up perspective. There are many places these modalities go together, but I'm finding EMDR is more from a belief-focused perspective, and EFT is more from an emotion up and running. Anything that helps merge these modalities would be so helpful. Just saying, first reading this, my internal system says, oh, no, it's not. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> so fascinating. EMDR is not. It's yeah. so fascinating um, when you read that question. Yeah, and I... I think we have a lot to unpack here, but very first, um, first thing that comes into my mind is EMDR really does not have to be a belief focused, mm-hmm. cognitive focused, top down um, mm-hmm. approach. And Although a lot of fact, people are trained that way. Right. Yeah. So that confusion is common and really, really natural because yeah. of the way that it's talked about. Yeah. I think where, in my perspective, in my approach, In fact, it really needs to be a bottom-up for it to be the most effective Mm -hmm. that it can be. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you write this because um, whoever, you know, wrote this in is definitely seeing the value of the bottom-up. And so it's saying, like, I really like EMDR. It's got good stuff, but it it needs to be this way. And I think you're right on target. Your instinct is accurate. So we want to talk a little bit about how it gets confused as a top-down approach and a more cognitive approach, belief-focused approach, and how do we shift it over into being more emotion-focused, body-focused, and bottom-up. So I, I'm i wondering what order you'd like to go in because I see the reframe that we're getting ready to do as addressing the practice mm-hmm. that some clinicians do that is top-down. Mm-hmm. Right as the first part, the second part being why we believe it is a bottom-up approach. Yeah. And then the third part being... How from, do you do it as a bottom-up? Right, from yeah. that. Perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great outline. Good outline, Bridger. <laughs> let's, let's do That's that. That's how my brain works. Yeah. So, yes. Okay, I'm going to talk about why I think people top. get confused. Yes, yes, okay. please. So, I'll take um, the second one. Yes. <laughs> so there's, I think there's a couple of things that happen. Number one, um, whenever we're learning something new, especially something challenging like EMDR... If you guys reflect back on your experience of sitting there in that training, as I reflect on my own, the entire time we're looking for things that we're already familiar with to hook this to and make sense of it for ourselves. And because traditionally, as therapists, we are trained from a CBT, very cognitive, top-down perspective, because that has been where our field is at in terms of what we believe is the best approach to treatment. That's changing, and it's changing rapidly, thank God. Um, there's my bias. But, um, oh, say it. Yeah. <laughs> so, say it for the people in the back. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think what happens is that when we have a, a heavy focus on CBT in all of our training, when we come into EMDR, we bring that with us. 
And so we start looking for the things that are familiar. And oh, right there in the protocol, there's a positive cognition and a negative cognition. I'm used and to that. And the validity. And the validity. Oh, and isn't that cool? Now I get to measure the validity of the cognition and how true this feels to them and all of that cool stuff. And so there, there tends to be an overemphasis on that portion. But it is just a portion. And in my experience, it is actually the least important portion. Um, it is simply one way that we light up the neural network to help us get into where we really want to go. And if we choose the, you can't see my fingers, but I'm doing scare quotes here, the wrong negative cognition during the assessment phase, I rarely see that become problematic. Um, every once in a while we'll run into an issue where if we choose the wrong, in scare quotes, uh, positive cognition, we do need to fuss with that a little bit because people will have a hard time attaching to it and we really do want to install a new yeah. way of thinking. However, that is after the reprocessing has already occurred. The minute that we start bilateral stimulation, their negative cognition begins to shift. And therefore, whatever they said was their negative cognition is completely useless to us after that initial assessment phase. We don't care about it anymore at all. Therefore, we do not need to spend a lot of time worrying about have I chosen the exact perfect one? Because if you think about clients and the way this actually plays out for them, if you hand them that list of negative cognitions, nine times out of 10, they're gonna go, well, there's you know three, four, five, nine of these that feel like they apply. Well, so which is the right one? The answer is all or none. And I'm probably frustrating some of you right now. <laughs> well, but it's really important. And so tune into that frustration if that's true for you. Yeah. Very much. Uh, one thing that I, I will add to that, I'm sorry, I don't know if you're finished with your thing. Well, I'm never finished, but you can okay. talk. <laughs> <laughs> to that piece is the way that it was, even in my training, the way the validity of cognition scale is portrayed and uh, taught to be implemented is to mark progress. Mm-hmm. Our brains, I think, do this, they make an assumption about that, posturing that is detrimental to understanding EMDR as a bottom-up approach. Mm-hmm. If you're using the VOC scale to measure progress, that means you're using it to determine whether or not the person is getting better or if the person is stuck or etc. Um, how true is this? does this cognition seem yeah. to you now? Yeah. Well, there's a problem with that because in understanding it cognitively, and I don't want to get into the second portion of my outline yet, but um, (laughs) understanding the VOC as the indicator of successful treatment Mm -hmm. will send you down a rabbit trail every single time. Right. Um, Because just as Melissa was saying, it shifts all the time and you're actually interacting with different parts of the brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one negative cognition to the prefrontal cortex may be irrelevant to the limbic Mm -hmm. system. And that's the that's the system that we really need to. Right. Sorry, I did get in a second. but I, I thought I was going to get to disagree with you for a minute. Once, and I was like really Sorry. excited, like I get to disagree. Like it turns out we agree. Okay. But when you were saying, I think it's actually the least important part for those of you who are listening who say like, no, I can't accept that. Um, I view it as one of the most important parts of the cognition because it's a window into the emotion in the body because we are, or so often our clients are very cognitive based Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. so detached to their body and their emotions. 
um, that it is so significant that we get that that negative cognition like opens the door. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when they finally identify it and can put words and we go to that place with them, we get to witness the mm-hmm. emotions in front of us and what yeah. the body does right there in front of us. Um, but we also don't want to get hung up on it has to be this exact one. It's right. just a gentle entry point. It is not the only entry point mm-hmm. that we have to get hyper-focused on. I have to get them to say the exact right words. Um, so I think that's where you know a lot of people get hung up and it can get lost as if we put too much weight on that cognition. Mm-hmm. But if we can go there and they do identify it, it can be a beautiful entry into what we really are trying to work with and right. that is everything under the book. And Jen, I think like that is such a good clarification. The, the one way of thinking about the, the positive cognition and the negative cognition in the assessment phase of EMDR is that these are really useful handles yeah. For us to grab onto, but they are not the point. The point is, is that I am using this handle to gain access to what is happening underneath in the That's system. Right. And if we stop there and we think that if I just create a new handle, that that is good treatment, then we will have to do much, much more work to make the same amount of gains or maybe not actually see the kind of spontaneous shifting, state shifting that we really want out of EMDR. If you think about how the script actually goes in the assessment phase, the point of asking about the negative cognition and the positive cognition is not to figure out what does a client believe. It is to activate Mm -hmm. their nervous system Mm -hmm. so that when they say, I am not good enough, they are viscerally somatically experiencing their shame. We're activating them with language because that is how our brains and bodies work. The point is the activation. It is not that now I know what they believe. The point of EMDR is not to change what they believe. The point is to change their state and the way the nervous system responds to stimuli in their environment. And I think that clarification and, and putting putting cognition as just one handle or one door, yeah. the way you said it is, yeah. I think is really helpful too, but it's not the point of what we're doing. Yeah. And if we get lost in the negotiation of what that belief mm-hmm. is, we're basically pulling them out of their activation back yes. into their prefrontal cortex Which, into a discussion. Yes. That's right. Which is why, and I think this is an excellent transition to the second part of the outline, because this is why EMDR, from our understanding, is a bottom-up approach. Even in the way that you're interacting with the person, um, their their entire brain, EMDR is necessarily going bottom up. Mm-hmm. It's not interacting with the prefrontal cortex. It's not saying what's in there and how are you organizing what has happened to you and, and what yeah. sense are you making of it. We actually have to go into each memory and understand, or each memory network, and understand what physiologically happened to the person and how are we going to reintegrate that into a future template or uh, right. you know, a more stable, present moment. Um, and the cognitive restoring happens spontaneously. Yes, it's no work yes. on here. No, we're, yeah. we're not feeding them a story. They're not cognitively creating a new story. They are experiencing the emergence of a new That's story exactly right. because their their state is shifting. So necessarily, it may be different than what originally was. What would you like to believe about yourself That's now? Right. It often changes. Yes. Yeah. Does something, and that's why in the script you said, does something else 
fit, fit better, better now. Yeah. yeah. Because the body is going to tell you yes. what it wants to know about itself and what it wants to understand about itself. That's right. And if you're arguing or if you're, you know, um, partitioning that off into, um, well, that wasn't the original or we need to be exact on this. Mm-hmm you've lost the point. Mm-hmm. It's it's not about the specifics, it's about the affective state. Right, right. And the words triggering that affective state. That's it? right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So clearly, we have a lot of opinions yeah. about cognitions and yes. EMDR. <laughs> absolutely right. Um, That's a really important question. Yeah, I think cart before the horse sort yeah. of gives the analogy. Mm-hmm. Cognition comes after. Yeah. <laughs> Let it tell you the story once uh-huh. it's completed. Yeah, the other portion of her question was about, you know, merging EFT and EMDR. And I think the simple answer to that is yes, please. Beautiful. It is just yeah. a, a beautiful yeah. combination. All of the things that you do in EFT um, can be enhanced with EMDR. You know, all of the skills that they're learning in EFT, as they experience them in their nervous system, we can then further install that in the same way that we would install a resource. Um, the other option to consider is that as you're going through your EFT process, find points where you can introduce bilateral stimulation to enhance the shifting that occurs with EFT, the state shifting, um, as the emotions are experienced in new ways, given permission to be experienced. Yeah, their autonomy and yeah. exercising the choice. And, yes, yeah. all of that. And so as they're, they're experiencing those new ways, um, we can use BLS and EMDR to come in there and really enhance that. Think from an EMDR approach perspective, EFT would fit so beautifully as a resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just I always say this, I feel like I say it over and over again, but not just as like a standard resource, like oh I do one or two sessions of that and then EFTs check the box done, we move on. But more oh, of a no constantly bringing it in um, and pre- preparing them, resourcing them, and then using that as interweaves right. um, and some of those techniques that you have developed and built through that. When you're looking at specifically with couples, um, EMDR with couples can be truly incredible. It's a sticky thing to navigate, but if you can do it, it's really, really amazing. And I think EFT in that way is just a kind of another lens to view the work of EMDR through that we want it to be EMDR um, with an EFT kind of approach. So we're really looking at the client experiencing this together and tuning into the other person's emotions and their state as they work through this target. Um, And that there's a a felt connection between the two while that work is happening. Mm -hmm. Good questions, you guys. We have thoroughly enjoyed answering questions, as I'm sure you can tell. Um, So thank you so much for listening to these Q&A episodes. Please keep the questions coming. It's a whole lot of fun for us, and it really gives us insight into uh, what kind of content you guys are most interested in and may even, you know, inspire a whole episode or a whole series because we can't seem to keep things brief. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Even a course on it. You never know. Um, So thanks so much, you guys, for listening, and we will talk to you soon.